The last book of the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote was 2 Timothy. And he wrote it during a time in his life when he knew his ministry was coming to an end and a great change was going to take place. He was challenged by many obstacles. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want to talk to you about living this day in light of that day, for that day is certainly coming. Take heart. I'm going to ask you to do two things at one time. I'm going to ask you to open the Bible. Now, these, for you ladies, it's no problem if you do two things at one time. But for us men, I want you to open the Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And while you're opening it, I want you to repeat after me these words. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. Now, I don't know how you memorize Scripture, but I can tell you the how I memorized the text we're going to look at this morning. It was as a kid growing up in a church singing a hymn, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I knew the hymn before I ever knew the Scripture. But the truth is in both the hymn and the Scripture. And I want this morning to talk to you about living this day in the light of that day. For I know whom I have committed to the Lord this day. I know what I've committed to the Lord this day. And I'm persuaded that whatever I've committed to him, he is able to keep it unto that day. And that day is hastening our way. Now, when Paul is writing, and he wrote so many wonderful words in God's Word, God used him so mightily, inspired him to write wonderful book of Romans, and 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, two different letters to the church at Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, one letter to Timothy, First Timothy, then he wrote Titus, then he wrote Philemon, and then he finished up all of his writing. Some people believe he wrote Hebrews as well, but he finished up all of his writing by writing the second letter to Timothy. So that day is very much on his mind. And you're going to find as you get older, that that day is going to be very much on your mind. It's not that you just sit around saying, well, you know what, I think I might die today. No, it's not like that. The truth is you might die today, but that's not how it is. It's not that you live around, walk around in a morbid kind of way, totally infatuated with the topic of death, but it is this that you sure better know that that day is coming. We look at 2016 and we think about all these loved ones that were a part of our congregation when we began 2016. Now they're in the presence of Jesus Christ, worshiping the Lamb upon the throne of God. Now they're there, beginning 2017, and we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in 2017, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And now Paul is coming into the station. He's taxiing up to the terminal. 
By the way, that's always comforting when you go to fly somewhere and the first thing you see is the terminal. It's like, ugh. But he is coming into the terminal. He's coming down to the end. Later in 2 Timothy, he is going to write uh, words to Timothy that go something like this. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but unto all those that love is appearing. The focus of his life was on that day. There was a time when he made a commitment. He entrusted something to the Lord. Now I was about 13, 14 years old when um, I went to the Verona State Bank there in Verona, Kentucky, a town of about 300, but they had a bank. And so mom and dad had told me I'd made a little money. I don't know if I'd sold a hog. I don't know what I'd done, but I'd made a little money. And they said, now it's time for you to open a checking account. Well, you didn't have a debit card. No such thing as that. That really, there was a time when there was no such thing. Honestly, folks, I'm telling you, they, we didn't have plastic. You, you didn't have plastic. And so there was, they had plastic, but they didn't have it in card shape. And so uh, I opened a checking account. You dealt with money in two different ways. You either had a check or you gave, you paid cash. Cash is that stuff that folds up and sometimes it makes noise in your pocket. You could, you could do that one way or other. You could do that. And so I began to trust somebody with something that I went in, sat down with a nice lady and, and filled out a little bit of paperwork and I made an initial deposit, I don't know how much, and I began to do business with the bank. I began to entrust them with my money. I, and, it, and it wasn't a lot, but I entrusted them with it. Now, 50 years later, I'm still banking. I'm still dealing with banks and, and I still don't have any money in them, but I, I still am dealing with banks because I felt that that this was how you did it. You entrusted it to them. And so then later, I went to the bank, and I was going to buy a car. And so I bought the 1965 Mustang, which I wish I still had today. And so I gave $650 for that. And so I bought this 1965 Mustang, and I borrowed the money from the bank in Verona to pay for the car, and they didn't set up any payments they said you will pay us when you sell your crop that's how you did it what kind of crop did I sell a tobacco crop please forgive me I sold a tobacco crop and so then I went in and I paid for the car now this passage of scripture Paul is trying to encourage Timothy about something He's saying life is passing. Now when Paul is writing this in 2 Timothy, he's in prison. Nero has put him there. And some people might have been ashamed to say that our evangelist Paul, our missionary Paul, our pastor Paul is a jailbird. He's imprisoned. But Paul is telling Timothy, he said, Timothy, I've observed your life, and I know something about you, and I know that there is faith in your heart, and it is faith that was put there. I saw it first in your mother, and I saw it also in your grandmother, and I'm fully persuaded it is also in you. 
Lots of things are going on in life, Timothy. Lots of things to discourage you, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. These are things that he says right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And then we come down to verse 8, and he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I have suffered these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed that I've suffered these things. Don't you be ashamed that I'm in jail. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel. Never, ever, ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, this morning, I want us to think about these words and about these things. Paul is looking back over his life. Long time has passed. Maybe his first thought, maybe the first this day that made him think about that day was the day that he stood at Stephen's stoning. And so they had put Stephen, as they did, down in a, a pit. Think about that. Stephen, this mighty man of God, and then they picked up rocks, big boulders, and they killed him. And those who participated in this took their clothes, took their robes, and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Timothy, or, or Stephen, lifted his eyes toward heaven and said, Lay not this sin to their charge. Something in that. Spoke to Paul's heart, Saul at the time. Then he's on his way, continuing on within his belligerent plan. He's on his way now to Damascus to find more Christians so that more Christians can be stoned. And while he's traveling to, to Damascus, somewhere on that road to Damascus, there's a light that shines around him. And on that particular day, Saul met Jesus. And his life was never the same after that. God began to lead him on an amazing journey. This was not what he had planned. This is not, what, this is not how Saul thought his life was to be mapped out. And he's going to reflect in many different times in the New Testament about what life has been like. For instance, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about labors more abundant, stripes laid upon his back, often in prison, near-death experiences. Five different times he received 39 stripes. Three different times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked in the deep. He said, I've known perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. Somebody said he had a whole string of perils. In weariness, in painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Well, Paul, what is your response to all of this? 
He says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, and that day is coming, and I know him. I know whom I have believed. He said three things before you this morning. This day, my belief is in a person. It's in a person. I know what I have believed. Nope, that's not what Paul said. I know a system that I... Nope, that's not... I know a denomination in which I have believed. That's not what he said. Because you can be a student of systematic theology, you can be a member of several different churches, you can be a member of a denomination, you can know a whole lot about the what, and you should know about the what you believe, but you can know a whole lot of what if you don't know the who. He says, I know whom I have believed. Because you see, it is about believing in a person. Previously, he'd believed in a system. He'd followed a program of performance trying to climb his way in uh, the Pharisee school of Judaism. He knew a whole lot about performing, and none of it had been successful or satisfying. And if your thing is church, Let me tell you from one who really, 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 really does know. It's not all that satisfying. And it's certainly not enough. There's only one place that you can say. There's only one person you can turn to. There's only one thing we could say, one thing to believe in. Well, actually, it's one person you believe in. You can say, I know whom I have believed. Because when every church building has fallen down, and when this whole world has been consumed in all the distress and troubles of life, when every Christian you've ever put your faith in has fallen flat on their face, the issue still comes down to this, I know whom I have believed, and, I am, and, and, I, and that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. You know, in the New Hebrides Islands, uh, when John Patton went there as a missionary, he was trying to translate the word belief. He was having trouble translating the word belief. And so he was out one day hunting with some of the natives of the New Hebrides. And one of them made the statement, let us go stretch ourselves out under this tree. And he said, say, what did you say? He said, let us go stretch ourselves out under this tree. And that was the word that John Patton was looking for to translate the word believe. He said, believing in Jesus Christ is stretching yourself out on Jesus. So you can't stretch yourself out on another. You can't stretch yourself out on a system or anything else. You can only stretch yourself in faith out upon Jesus to say, my faith for all of the future rests upon him. This day, my belief is in a person. My initial belief, here's the second thing, my initial belief has continuing results. He says, for I know whom I have believed. Okay, have believed. That's past tense in the English language. That's saying something happened in the past. Yeah, but the tense in the Greek is perfect it's, it's in perfect tense, which means it may have happened in the past, but it has ongoing results. And when you have believed in Jesus Christ, what happened in the past continues on in the future. I know whom I have believed. 
The word is pistuo. It is perfect tense, indicating a past action with continuing results. So, so what started on a day in the past will continue until that day in the future. This is what we call the ongoing work of sanctification. The Lord is at work in our lives. That's better than any New Year's resolution. Did you make a New Year's resolution in 2016? Well, did you make a New Year's resolution? You say it's still New Year's Day. We can make a resolution day. Absolutely. Most of us are going to say, my New Year's resolution is to lose weight. Beginning, not tomorrow, it's a holiday. Well, okay, so it begins on Tuesday. We're going to clean out the refrigerator. On You can't throw that food away. Think of all the starving children in China. You can't throw that food away. You can't do that. So it's kind of like one year my mom had had a turkey for Thanksgiving. It had been in the a, in a refrigerator for quite a while. I don't know how long. I don't know what color it was. But she was taking it out, and she finally said, we're done with this. I'm not, I'm not picking any more off this. She sent it to the dogs with Dad. And I know you're not supposed to feed turkey to your dogs or whatever. But anyway, they were, they were our dogs, none of your business. So they were taking the dogs, taking it down to the dogs. And, and, and we went, and we watched Dad out the window as he carried the, the turkey carcass. You could recognize what it was. He carried it at the pen. He set it down on the top of the doghouse and began to pick the meat that was left on it and eat it. Why be wasteful? So you make a resolution to lose weight. Or maybe you make, this is a good resolution. Make a resolution to read all the way through God's Word this year. Don't just make a resolution, do it. And you know, one of the neat things about iPads and iPhones and computers and everything else, one of the great, great things about it is it can help you chart your course. And it can even hold you accountable to just say, okay, so I'm going to take this program and I'm going to begin to read the Bible. And it's going to put you on a course where you're going to read some Old Testament every day, some New Testament every day, and you're going to read all the way through the Bible in, in, in 1917. Yes, you are. In 2017, you're going to read all the way through the Bible. I want to encourage you to do that. But what I'm talking about here is the work of God began in my life many, many years ago. In 1972, when I came to know Jesus Christ, my Savior, I know whom I stretched myself out on. I know whom I believe. And what happened back there has continuing results all the way in the future. I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able, and more than able, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My confidence for that day rests on him this day. I'm trusting in Christ right now. I, I trusted in Christ back then. I'm trusting in Christ right now, and I'm going to trust in Christ in the future. I am confident that he is more than able. The word keep is actually the word for guard. He is able to guard. It's a military term for a soldier who has been given an assignment to guard, to keep. I am more than confident that he is able to keep that which I have put in his trust. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry, 
A little over a year ago, we began Take Art Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. On Sunday in the past, I entrusted my eternal soul to him. So where, my, where is my eternal soul today? It's wherever it was on October the 5th, 1972 when I committed it over to him. You talk about safekeeping. And if I am his today, then I'm his on that day. I'm his tomorrow. My confidence is in him. And I really think when Paul was writing there in 2 Timothy, saying, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day, his thoughts may have been going the very words that he already written to the church at Rome when he said, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the kind of God we have. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who even is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why, Paul? Because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? Who can separate us from the love of Christ when we know whom we have believed and we are persuaded that he is able to keep what we have entrusted unto him against that day? I can trust him with my faith. I can trust him with my failure. I can trust him with my fears. I can trust him with my future. Because, dear people, he's big enough to handle it all. Now, sometimes my faith wavers. You'd say, oh, no, we got to form a pastor search committee. we got to get a new preacher because our preacher doesn't have enough faith. Sometimes my faith wavers. You pray for things, and it doesn't seem those things happen. You pray for people, and it doesn't seem like it works out. And then you go through a year kind of like what we did in 2016 where as a pastor and having been at this church for a long time as a pastor, I just bury not church members, friends. And so there have been afternoons when I've gone home and I'm telling you just all the life just about had been twisted out of me and I'm just like... And I think when Floyd passed away in, in December... And it came as such a surprise to all of us. And I, and I, I wound up going home on, the, on that day, at the end of that day. And he even 
suggested to Betty that, that just, you know, I just, I just want to quit. I didn't say I'm quitting. I'm just saying I just want to quit. I want you people to stop dying. But I don't have that option of quitting. Because this is what, and this is that still small voice that rings in my ears, more than ringing in my ears, it rings in my heart, and that is that you made a commitment. You've been called. You've got a charge. You've got a responsibility. You've got a job to do. This is what I have called you to do. So quitting is... Even this month, I was reminded, in December, I was reminded, you know, you read these things through the years, and you see these things, and you think, my goodness, that's impressive. I was reminded of a Lutheran pastor, Martin Rinkert, who pastored in 1637. There wasn't none of you around then. It was in the midst of the 30-year war, he was the pastor of a Lutheran church in Eilenburg, Saxony. And in the 30-year war, the people were crowded into this little community, crowded into this little walled city. In 1637, he preached 4,000 funerals. In one day, he buried 50 of his people. And at the end of all of that, this is what he did. He sat down and wrote the words of this hymn. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world, in this world and the next. Thank you, Martin, for walking through all of that, for living through all of that, for ministering through all of that, for preaching through all of that, and coming out of it and writing one of the greatest Thanksgiving hymns that's ever been. Now thank we all our God. I don't care who you are. Your faith is going to be tested. But if you know whom you have believed and are persuaded that he is able to keep what well, you've made a commitment. You entrusted something to him. You've given it to the bank of heaven, and it is never going to shut down. Sometimes it's not my faith, but see, I, my Lord is big enough to handle all of my failures. What can I do with my sin? I'm, I'm to take it, I, I'm still taking it to the very same one I took it to 40 plus years ago. 
I'm still taking it to the very same one who bore it to Calvary 2,000 years ago. His perfection is much more impressive than my imperfection. His sinlessness is so much more powerful than my sinfulness. What can I do with my sin? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. What do I do with my failures? I can take them to him. Well, prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. I mean, we don't have to teach each other how to sin. We don't have to teach each other how to, how to fail because there's something in the human heart that draws us that direction, and yet I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. I mean, you see, it, you see it all the time in people, and you say, why do they go that way? Why do they follow that path? Why, do they have, why have they failed as they have failed? Starts real little. This past week, we had all of our family there on Tuesday. They're not all there now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So we did Christmas on Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, we cut some wood and hauled some kids around back on the lift and did all of these things. And so I put the tractor up, and I had uh, Aaron's little boy, Levi, riding on the back. And I had Millie, who's Hannah's little girl, Millie, riding on the back. And we put the tractor bar and closed the door. We had to walk through the field. There's horse manure everywhere. You have horses, you have manure. And so I didn't look over my shoulder. I just closed the barn, and I started walking out, and I knew they were behind me. And I said, Levi, who's three, I said, don't step in the horse manure. Just a few more steps, and I heard Millie say, he's picking it up. So, I mean, God has to give us some pretty specific instructions, doesn't he? Saying don't step in it is not good enough. He has to tell us don't get down and play in it. Don't, don't pick it up. But this is what I've come to understand. He's big enough to handle our failures, folks. He's big enough to handle our transgressions. So when our faith wavers... He's big enough, I know whom I believe. When failures come in our life, then we get back up and we start all over again because he's already covered our sin through his marvelous, matchless blood on the cross. We've got to get up and go again. And when fear overwhelms us, we find ourselves laying, living in land of what if. Maybe we need to leave, leave the land of what if and move into the but if not. That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived, the land of body, if not. They had been told that he, they had to bow down to this great statue to the king. They wouldn't bow down to it. So they said, okay, we're going to heat the furnace up, and we're going to throw you. We heat it up seven times what it normally is. We're going to throw you into the fiery furnace, and they went into the fiery furnace. Three of them went in, and four of them walked, and three of them came back out because the Lord was with them through the whole thing. When the question was put to them, won't you bow down, they said, you know, we're going to throw you in the furnace. If, we, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, we don't know whether or not our Lord, we know our Lord is able to deliver us, but if not, we're not bowing down to your idol anyway. God's simply asking us to live in the land of not the what if. We could be there. Our fears could overwhelm us all the time. But don't live in the land of what if. Live in the land of but if not. If things don't turn out like I think they ought to, if fear does overwhelm me, I still know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. Folks, don't 
give up. You just keep on going. In all of these things, He will guard us, but our text is not finished. Because, you see, sometimes the future shakes us. We're living this day, but we're living in light of that day, and we don't know how much living there is between this day and that day. We're moving toward that day. And so things go on in this world we don't like. And we look at things like Rick mentioned. We, we look at United Nations decisions that happen with Israel and know that every time the United States has made decision that has been negative toward Israel, we have accepted some level of punishment as time has gone along. It's just true. It's like storm clouds hang over us and we turn our back on Israel and then we find ourselves in deep trouble. So the future shakes us. And we know not when our Lord may come at night or noonday fair, or if we'll walk the veil with him, or rise to meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We can trust him with our future. I, won't, I don't know what this day holds, but I know who holds this day. I know what that day holds, and I know who holds that day. I'm living this day in the light of that day. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know this day that you've invested heavily in that day? You've entrusted, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves cannot break through and steal. Are you investing in that day, living your life for that day? Because we're living this day in the light of that day. Say this with me. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you, and I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon Him. And if today you've never trusted in Him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.